Hey everybody, welcome back to the private feed. This is Josh. I'm going to talk today about an essay I wrote for Document Journal that's recently been published. Keep an eye out on the Patreon feed for the article and the PDF. The title of this piece is Proof of Body that longtime listeners to the stream may be familiar with. This is a concept I've been sketching out for a little while, and I'm glad to finally put some text to the topic. So I'm going to read my essay here. Yeah, we'll go through this and then we will check in in a moment and give some commentary. I've spent the last year exploring extremely online nutrition, lifting weights, eating raw eggs, and sunning my balls to better understand how social media has fragmented consensus reality. Cultural divisions now seem deeper than ever, and society no longer agrees on the basic principles of political freedom or even empirical science. From conflicting narratives around the COVID-19 pandemic, to overturned conspiracies like the Hunter Biden laptop, to the pure disinformation surrounding election theft and coordinated voter fraud, one begins to wonder, has the internet destroyed truth? Productive disagreement has always been a foundation of American liberal democracy, but it requires that citizens inhabit a more or less shared reality. Instead, today's runaway polarization seems irreconcilable. Can this cultural splintering be reversed? Should it be accelerated? Where do we go from here? Online, all conflicting viewpoints are represented simultaneously. At the touch of a finger, every wingnut can call up information to support any claim, no matter how absurd. Everything can be disputed and nothing is clear. For example, I tweet a study that claims eggs are good for you. Someone replies with a counter-study that reads, actually, eggs are bad for you. To which I reply with a counter-study to their counter-study showing, new data proves eggs are really very good for you. And so on and so forth at infinitum. Now multiply this typical exchange for every topic across all of social media. Online discourse has become a sinkhole of infinitely granular debates without any coherent summary to cut through it. Data is the antithesis of narrative. Effective narrative frames work to compress complex conflicts, statistics, and trends into a form which a non-expert public can grasp. Professional researchers and historians may sift through volumes of primary sources to craft an overarching story. But when this information is made available to the public, such as through an online database, it often leads to pseudo-experts and hobbyists piecing together conspiratorial threads by cherry-picking conflicting points of data. Sometimes, too much information makes an issue more difficult to understand. In earlier, more functional decades of American society, universities and papers of record performed an important role shaping definitive interpretations in the fields of science, politics, and culture. But today, academia and legacy media, as well as experts of all fields, feel popularly discredited. From the literal fake news about weapons of mass destruction that paved the way for the war in Iraq, to the subprime mortgage crisis of 2008, to the ever-inflating student debt bubble and the overwhelming media consensus of a democratic victory in 2016, our elites have repeatedly lost the public's trust. Events such as these contribute to a growing suspicion of systemic incompetence and corruption. As things continue to get worse for increasing numbers of people, the legitimacy of the mainstream erodes, and alternative views grow in popularity. 
Today, trust in the media is at an all-time low, and online counter-narratives are thriving. In the late neoliberal era, our institutions withered and platforms rose up to take their place. I've spent the last year in an all-consuming auto-experiment, immersing myself in the esoteric and pseudoscientific health practices of extremely online communities spread across Twitter, Discord, and 4chan. While exploring these uncertain fields of bro-science and internet folklore, I've observed a variety of trends that similarly map onto progressive subcultures and seem to indicate a broad pattern inherent to all of social media. Radical liberal online activists and right-wing bodybuilders seem to represent two opposite poles of the political spectrum, but they are deeply related. They are each a product of recent history, the waning of institutional narratives, and artifacts crystallized through the atomizing design of today's social media networks. Each of these exaggerated archetypes thrives in this unique discursive environment. On the right, ultra-conservative yet homoerotic fitness personalities tell us that eating copious amounts of butter, heavy cream, and 36 raw eggs a day is the healthiest diet possible. Yes, they literally do this. Google Vince Gironda Shake 3X Daily. It's only 5,400 calories. And while this advice runs contrary to most people's common sense, these guys are totally ripped. The proof that their claims are true is the physique of the bodybuilders themselves. Nutritional science is a relatively new field, and its findings are frequently overturned. This lack of expert consensus results in an uncertain terrain where fitness influencers can demonstrate progress over time as a way of substantiating their claims. Posting photos or videos of themselves performing sets of exercises or following a meal plan becomes the necessary proof when an expert authority is missing. On the left, censorious scolds chastise us over an ever-expanding list of microaggressions. And while some of these perspectives defy popular intuition, the activists speak of a lived experience that is unfalsifiable. The substantive proof behind their claims is the embodied identity of the activists themselves. While the struggles for social justice stretch back much further than the neoliberal era, within the fields of academia and media, institutional bias is a relatively recent concern. This glaring historical oversight creates an uncertain terrain where activists must use extra institutional means to force an authority to address its own inequalities. Public pressure campaigns, first-hand accounts, and cosigns from members of marginalized identity groups help to mount the case that an institution is unjust. In the absence of trustworthy institutions, society has retreated into self-validating rubrics of meaning-making. We now attempt to posit an anti-conspiratorial truth in a vacuum of credibility. On social media, proof of body has become the de facto verification for all claims. Simply put, no one wants Rachel Dolezal to lecture them about the black experience, and no one would take fitness advice from a fat influencer. For better and worse, platforms created a way to bypass institutional gatekeepers and experts. But this necessary challenge to authority came at a time when institutional legitimacy was already steeply on the decline. From the 1980s onward, neoliberalism privatized more and more aspects of American life. 
As a result, the increased cost of living erected new barriers across all elite positions in society. When state funding withered, our museums, universities, and papers of record were increasingly forced to seek aid from private donors and powerful interests. Ever-steepening competition poses greater risks for whistleblowers. The decline of tenure eliminated those oppositional voices that once made expert consensus rigorous and trustworthy. Moreover, the only individuals who could soon afford to enter into these elite positions came from increasingly privileged backgrounds. And once inside, they began to reproduce the same ruling class ideologies from which their institutions had once been erected to protect. Austerity chips away from all sides. If being an artist, journalist, or professor doesn't pay, then the only people who can afford to do it are those who have access to intergenerational wealth. This slow process of elite capture decimated institutional legitimacy and platforms absorbed the public's trust into the domain of the market. Not surprisingly, things got worse. In the 2010s, society ceded its main communication network to an advertising platform. The incentives of this online economy have driven our cultural and political discourse ever since. This cacophonous horizontality has given rise to many new forms of snake oil salesmen. Outrageous headlines, dopamine addictions, wire fraud scams, health crazes, and much more. On the right, it pushes fitness influencers to fake their gains, such as Liver King's plainly obvious use of steroids, which he continues to deny because he is a liar, or to sell dangerous supplements like InfoWars' lead-tainted ashwagandha in 2017. On the left, it drives bad-faith call-outs among activists and encourages academics to make dubious claims to identity groups as a cynical way of advancing their own careers, like Jessica La Bombalera Krug or Elizabeth Warren. Editors and curators are also imperfect and in need of their own checks on power, but in the absence of strong institutional frameworks, precarity and competition will continue to incentivize new forms of profitable deception. Drop all of this into an environment of ad-driven media, where everyone is forced to chase infinite scale to barely survive, and you have strong incentives for desperate people to lie without any legitimate authority to correct them. Today's cultural and political chaos is no longer the result of corrupt institutions, but a lack of them. I do not recommend treating yourself as a guinea pig for insane health advice found on niche internet message boards. But when you cannot trust the experts, you must do your own research. I couldn't believe any of these bizarre programs would actually make you fit, so I had to try it out. At my peak, I was eating two pounds of meat and six raw eggs per day. I would occasionally supplement with some leafy green vegetables like spinach or kale. After a period of about three months, I got very lean and muscular. This was probably the best shape I've ever been in. It was a lot to manage my daily consumption so carefully, and I probably could not have done it if I wasn't living in my mom's basement at the time. By the way, I no longer live with my mom, and I have a GF, so miss me with that incel shit. While esoteric influencers claim that sunning your balls will increase testosterone levels by up to 200%, the only thing it is indisputably proven to do is vehemently upset liberals. 
which probably means you should do it. Sitting in the sun with a cup of coffee for five to 10 minutes in the morning is a good practice to gather your thoughts and take a moment before diving into the drudgery of work. This alone will have beneficial health effects. There is no need to spend $600 or more on specialty red light machines that have dubious scientific backing. These hypermasculine subcultures like to fixate on rigorous evidence for declining fertility and testosterone levels due to the presence of microplastics and endocrine-disrupting chemicals, but they also believe in a variety of other topics that are basically totally made up. Seed oils do not turn your blood into plastic. You can't change your face through positive thinking, physiognomy, and teleportation isn't real. This is too complicated and stupid to explain. My advice is to avoid seed oils when possible because they are very cheap and usually put into foods that are highly processed and unhealthy. Thinking strong and handsome thoughts will not spur muscle protein synthesis, so I recommend eating 0.75 grams protein per pound of body weight if you are seriously lifting. You should drink raw onion juice once just to know what it feels like, but be prepared to stink like body odor the next day. Mewing is an exercise for the tongue and jaw muscles, with the goal of reshaping one's face into a more desirable, Chad-like appearance. This totally worked and has visibly improved my face. In most cases, this involves overpriced plastic bite guards, but I recommend the much more affordable phalum gum for beginners or tears of the Chios tree for experts. After a year of transforming my body, I realized that I was not so much in search of health advice, but was instead looking to uncover some counterintuitive truth in a world of deeply conflicting viewpoints and information. By immersing yourself in someone else's reality, you may glean a few insights that subtly shift your own. Despite our social chaos, there is an emergent consensus among the disparate branches of today's fractured discourse. In radical liberal online activist spaces, it is common for people to undergo hormone replacement therapy in their journey towards self-design. Similarly, right-wing bodybuilders consume a, quote, hormone precursor diet, and often related, if not identical, drugs to increase testosterone levels and aid in muscle growth. From different facets of our political reality, we find an unexpected consensus that nature is insufficient and true bodily autonomy is realized at the level of self-design, whether it be pink pills or raw eggs. The task of creatives and intellectuals today should be to collect these uncommon points of alignment. We must weave these narrative threads into a newly coherent social fabric. In this final chapter of postmodernism, we will find new ways to reconstitute consensus reality. We must build new, truth-seeking institutions for a society that has lost its way.